0: All right, we are live. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to another episode of the green team Academy podcast. And I'm very excited today uh, because we're going to be talking about um, a project that Albert Kiefner started and it's going to be super cool. And before we dive into that, I just want to let you know of a few of the upcoming podcasts that we have for the next couple of weeks. So next week on October uh, 13th, we have Tara Toll. She's going to be talking about the Denver Climate Action Initiative. And then Shana Oliver is a Danae woman. She's going to be talking about her work with Moms Clean Air Force and how you can help improve air quality in your communities through her advocacy type of uh, example and information. Uh, and then on the 27th, we have uh, we have Lisa Yee Litzenberg, who is going to be talking about how to find a green career, even in these challenging times. So that's a fun lineup. Uh, so just want to make sure that you knew about those before we dive in. Um, but right now let's, and let me see here if, okay. So it looks like we've got bigger Al-Islam tuning in from Korea slash Uganda. Uh, (laughs) so that's cool. Um, so welcome. And, um, yeah, so Albert had this idea, which I can really relate to. Uh, So the the topic today is black and white conversations from the heart. And um, I grew up in downtown Denver. When I, the high school I went to, it was a time where they were busing white kids into this black school, predominantly black school. And so I had a ton of black friends. And then I went to college and I, after, after going into engineering and, uh, I finally wrote a note on my fridge that says make black friends because I just was not interacting with, with anybody, but whites, just because of the career path that I had chosen and all the white supremacy and everything that goes with that. Um, so anyhow, I went to Ghana. And I definitely, I changed that around, but I could really relate to to Albert's idea. And so um, Albert is with the Unitarian, let me get this all up here. He's an avid Ecojustice advocacy member of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Berkeley. Um, and at age 75, he's, he was one, he told me this is one of the elders in July that participated in this healing, our ecological movement jam, uh, for climate for diverse climate justice leaders put on by yes. So that was elders with young people working together. Um, he's been doing a lot of stuff with, um, no coal in Oakland, faith against fracking. Um, but, uh, Kind of interesting thing that i didn't know and i've been working with albert a long time is that you started out wanting to make a million dollars and started out as a republican right. um, so <laughs> so first albert thank you so much for joining and good morning i know it's a little right. early in california
1: yeah yes yeah, pleasure to be here um right i, I see we have a green plant behind you and i uh, it was very, very overcast today, so I didn't get to really get to uh, say hello to the uh, flora the flora outside <laughs> my apartment. So thank you for for the green plant.
0: Yes, I talk to this plant all the time.
1: Oh, great. <laughs> I was
0: asking this morning, how are you doing? Very good. Uh, so <laughs> thank I'll, you. <laughs> I'll relay your wishes. Um, <laughs> awesome. So uh, before we talk about this idea, this so, so, Albert is one of the challengers in the 2020 International Climate Action Challenge, and his challenge is to launch an initiative called Black and White Conversations from the Heart, and to make some progress in 90 days. Um, but could we take like two minutes? Can you tell us you what was the deal? You started out as Republican. What kind of what changed things for you? How did that happen?
1: Well, I went to the. Uh... The district meeting uh, for the uh, well for St. Paul, Minnesota, where I grew up and worked uh, downtown uh, as a stockbroker, and uh, my dad was the represented that uh, assembly district, and so of course they elected me right away. I had no experience in politics, but uh, I thought I was representing the people of the precinct. But when we went to these higher-level meetings, I found that they had absolutely no interest in anything we had to say. They would not even let us talk about those sorts of things. They only talked about what uh, the bigwigs wanted. And uh, and I realized that this is the, the, pro, the, the uh, party of business people, and all they care about is making money. And all they care about in that regard is the people who have the most of it, apparently. And that's who they serve. And uh, and so I was very disillusioned, and I quit uh, very shortly after that experience, and went out to California and just sat in Berkeley Library for five months uh, and uh, studied uh, transactional analysis uh, psychology, and I still uh, most of what I do even today uh, is got to do with that, but in a much more analytical or mathematical format. So um, right. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. so
0: that was that was an interesting thing because we've been meeting doing our weekly group coaching and um I didn't know that until I saw your yeah. your bio so that was interesting. Yeah. All right, so let's right. let's get into this this idea um so so what what got you to this point of thinking, you know, the well, let me back up. So after during this whole kind of racial reckoning, the awakening for a lot of white people realizing, oh my gosh, this is what Colin Kaepernick was talking about. Um, that a lot of people are recommending that white people go read books, and you know that that's that's where they right. should, what they should do. Right. Um, and you have a different idea, which is getting people to talk to each other and understand each other. So tell us a little bit about how your idea came about.
1: Well, uh, at Unitarian uh, Universalists of Berkeley, there are quite a few Blacks and uh, we, we have a lot of, of social justice and anti-racial uh, stuff. Uh, and we, and I'm, so I'm talking a lot with Blacks and uh, so I found that after doing this, I could finally, I could finally treat Blacks as, as peers, you know? Um, and uh, so, but I realized it was only because of these face-to-face interactions. And so I, I thought, well, we still have, uh, we still have all kinds of racism in this country. This country was built on racism uh, or indentured servants, uh, or, uh, using Indians as uh, labor or just killing them off because you wanted their property and uh, so forth. So uh, I th- I figured the only way that uh, you're going to get um, something—well, actually, I wrote a, an email uh, to my social justice committee and a lot of other people. I sent it out to a couple hundred people. And the email— uh, uh here well here it is.
0: Maybe if, we if you I, want to
1: go into more depth. I mean yeah, yeah, I think
0: we don't we just have this half hour. So right. I think okay. the, but but the idea so what you're saying is that you you experienced personally that that when you started just having one-to-one conversations with people, right that a lot of the systemic racism that was kind of Driving perceptions and things like that fell away. Right. When you just knew each knew knew each other one to one,
1: right.
0: And understood each other. But, um, um, and so, so so you sent this email out to folks. You 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 use Chris Singleton as an example for for what you want to do. Could you tell us a little bit about who Chris Singleton is and what kind of how how that fits into what you were thinking.
1: Right. Well, uh, in that that email, I mentioned him. I I sent the email out on on Juneteenth weekend, and so I said, in accord with today's Juneteenth celebration, here are some maxims for Black-white relations stated as a preface to some topics of conversation for enhancing them, followed by an exemplar, who was Chris Singleton, of all four maxims that Mm -hmm. I talk about. And uh, the first maxim was hearken to the words of George Floyd, I can't breathe, and mama. Uh, B, uh, second one was nurture white grass roots with fertile black soil. In other words, we both have something to offer. You know, uh, and uh, and, uh, C was in that regard, teach whites what blacks already know come from a proactive first-person perspective, uh, promote your point of view and want others to promote theirs in public conversation wherever people gather, inside or out. And see, never lose the beat of connectivity when you rap with others. And uh, the last maxim was people of different ethnicities stop discriminating against one another when they do things in common, beginning with talking amongst themselves. Possible topics for conversation uh, could be desire for validation, a better life,
0: right. love of good
1: Samaritan, so, good.
0: America, so I forth. Wanna, so, I want to cut you off because I want to get yeah. into some of those. Okay. things. but yeah, so so the, those maxims. So so in general, you're saying white people need to learn from black people. So it's not only just having conversations, but whites need to learn. Right some of this communication. So, so let's jump into the, the Chris Singleton um, right. example. Tell people so, who he is and what. how does he kind of model these maxims.
1: Right, right. Uh, Chris Singleton uh, e- exemplifies these four maxims. Uh, In regards to the first one, Chris Singleton's mother was deprived of life and breath, just like George Floyd along with eight other African-Americans in prayer five years ago in the Charleston Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church shootings by a white supremacist. Uh, B, the second maxim, Chris brings the impact of his personal experiences to all races all over America. This is the fertile black soil nurturing white grassroots. You know, we Democrats are the grassroots. Okay. Um, and uh, the third maxim, during his public speaking, I noticed my head always nodding yes to a beat, uh, because his head is also bobbing to a beat. And you picked up on that, and so you're agreeing with him because he's nodding his head. And uh, and the beat, the regularity, uh, the continuity of it has something to do with it, I think. And then D, his topic of discussion, the fourth maxim, was the scarcity and sufficiency of love and he had his audience members of different races validate one another with a hug. So he exemplifies all four of those maxims. And I I'm, and I'm, want him to be a keynote or a kickoff speaker to some sort of uh, conclave of whites and blacks uh, where they do this kind of, they do an exercise in breakout rooms or whatever, uh, where they, they talk about these, these different topics
0: Right.
1: Uh, of
0: discussion, so. I, I love that that uh, that Chris Singleton says when he starts his talks is, go find somebody who's here that doesn't look like you, go give them a hug and tell them I love you. Right. And, and it's right. okay, we're in church. And, and so this, so there's a lot, there's a lot of things going on there. Um, right. And this, th- the other thing I wanna mention is that, that this process that we're talking about right now, that in the climate action challenge book, all these steps that are in there, these are things okay. that Albert has been doing, and yeah, so absolutely. identifying exemplary models is one right. of the key steps in there because, you know, you're never starting from scratch. Somebody else has already, you know, figured out what works, so yes, sure. start from that. And so, um, so Albert, one of the other things I thought was interesting was that you you started because because you're active in your church, that you started thinking about these intercongregational discussions, and and this is a good point for anybody out there. If you're a teacher, then you know try something in your school. If if you're part of a faith community, then do something in your faith community. If you're working somewhere, they have a corporate sustainability or some kind of uh, equity thing, then do it there. So do it where you already have traction to kind of prove, make that the proving ground.
1: So Right, and, and I enjoyed, uh, two days after I wrote this email, uh, one of the addressees was my uh, Unitarian Universalist uh, Social Justice Committee. And two days after they got that email, uh, they formed uh, the Anti-Racism Task Force. And what I didn't know was that somebody, uh, uh, actually the co chairman of the committee was already meeting with a black pastor and his wife uh, with a view towards having intercongregational congregational uh, discussions and they've since done that and so that that was already in the mill. i didn't even know it you know right <laughs> and, uh, but this is what you get by expressing yourself on an issue uh to, to people who might be able to do something about
0: it yeah and, and, and so so i i think some of the things that have been coming out um you know it, it's it, it just reminds me of this whole thing you know government will make a plan they'll start working on something they don't really consult the community and the community has other ideas and it doesn't go very far right um, and and so you know i think that what you're advocating is that respect let's get to know each other and so as you have started having some of these conversations some really interesting initiatives have come out of it uh right. including this this kind of home sharing idea which again i don't think would have ever come out if people if white people were just sitting there reading books alone they they may not have you know figured out that oh there's a need on one side and a need on other and we could together kind of collaborate so tell me a little bit about the, um, this, this home-sharing idea.
1: Right. Well, uh, I thought I was going to be leading inter-congregational meetings uh, with the help of YES. It's a, uh, it's a nonprofit that connects, inspires, and helps, uh, help, helps uh, youth mostly to connect, inspire each other, and collaborate. On uh, projects, so the, the project I was in was uh, a, a thirty, about twenty-five youths and five uh, elders concerned with Black Lives Matter and how we can collaborate on that. And these were at uh, people from all over the country, uh, including f- uh, from two from organizers, young women of color from 350.org, and so. But uh, the the woman who leads Shilpa Jane, the woman who leads Yes, wanted to to ask me if uh, if the Unitarians, uh, their elder members had spare rooms. And I said, yeah, I suppose, you know, we have a lot of elder members and living in big houses. And a couple of them just moved into uh, assisted or independent or assisted living facilities because uh, their house was too big to take care of. And once they moved into these assisted living facilities, they didn't mind spending, you know, anywhere from four to $90,000 a month because they had somebody to talk to, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, so, hey, what, you know, relationships are more important than money, as it turns out, so, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the area that you're talking about for people that don't know where you're living. Like, what are the kind of demographics of income and, and ethnicity or, or race? Um, where, where are you joining us from and where, where are you talking about doing this?
1: Well, I live in, uh, North Oakland in a former red line district, which is mostly black. I'm virtually all my neighbors are black. And, uh, and uh i love it here there's a lot of young black kids i just love seeing them run around <laughs> And there, and this is a party area
0: and so uh, is that is that what the unitarian
1: uh no, <laughs> well, the unitarians uh, the unitarian. uh, Univers- uh unitarian university of uh berkeley is actually in kensington it used to be uh on university property but the university wanted to use that property and so they had to move and uh they moved to Kensington, which is a little north uh, east of uh, Berkeley, but still many of the congregants are professors and uh, former Berkeley students, and, and we're all very much involved in uh, typical Berkeley activist kind of activities, you know, as are most Unitarians. So,
0: But I mean, in general, is it, would you say it's more, is it predominantly white? You said there are
1: Yes, most and, definitely, and predominantly also
0: kind of more affluent.
1: Yes, definitely, definitely upper middle class, uh, mostly elderly, um, and I believe there's twelve blacks in our congregation.
0: So yeah, so I mean, so this thing that that you are saying is, so the the people in your congregation tend to be elderly, white, affluent, right, and, and probably kind of lonely and, right. or, or need, need someone to be around, or maybe they need a little bit of help. I know my mom was right. in her home until she was 89 years old. And she often towards the end had somebody that living there with her that had very little, it wasn't like they were taking care of her, but we just knew as the family that somebody was coming in and out and somebody that she could eat dinner with. Um, occasionally or you know just right. to not be to not be alone or you know if there was something in the house they could figure out how to get some help. Um
1: right. Yeah. It's just you know if if <laughs> when you have a big house it's hard to take care of uh you know doing all the maintenance especially if it's an old house and there are a lot of old hundred year old houses in the area. Um, and, and uh and if you're up in the hills you're all by yourself up in the hills you can feel very disconnected uh, so um how,
0: how does that contrast Albert to the housing situation in some of the poorer um less affluent and maybe communities of color in the same in the same little pocket
1: uh you mean the same little pocket up there
0: i mean when you were you said earlier when we were chatting um that that there there is a lot of there's a lot of poor people in this in your county i guess as Uh, well as the these affluent areas
1: well the the rents here are out of sight (laughs) you know uh even a small one bedroom costs around 2100 or more at least 2100 bucks Two-bedroom is well over three thousand a month, and so uh, you know people who are just getting started, uh, or who are activists who want to do activism in Black Lives Matter or whatever, uh, and get you know you know twenty dollars an hour. You know it's you can't live on it, and so they definitely need some sort of um, help, and. as it turns out, there are several matchmaking or house, uh, yeah, uh, uh, non-profits in the in the area, and uh, and so the hypothesis now is that uh, yes, this this group that did this uh, uh, healing our eco, our eco. Uh, uh, activism movement jam that I was a part of uh, wants to uh, connect up uh, elders and youngers through these matchmaking facilities and uh, and then also hold jams of those same people so that they can uh, have a sense of community and uh, learn from each other. And perhaps represent their interests uh, to yeah. city councils or or other state uh, agencies or whatever to uh, to fight have, having uh, white people and black people f- fighting for each other's interests, and uh, this is something that has never happened before that I know of, where they on a continuing basis you have a community of blacks and whites that. Uh, that are taking care of each other and looking out for each other.
0: Uh, Well, it it all comes back to the understanding. As you were saying, you know, your initial vision was let's get out of our silos and just start talking to each other and understanding. Um, There was a podcast that I listened to. It was a diversity consultant, and he said, I don't want to hear what your hiring strategies are. I don't want to hear your numbers. I want to know who do you go golfing with? Who do you go out right. to lunch with? And if you don't right. have any black friends, then then you don't know what you're doing. You're right. you know, It's like talking about riding a bicycle without ha- getting on the bicycle. You can't, yeah, if exactly. you don't know what what that experience really is, you're you're just coming out of left field. Um so I I mean I just think this is such a cool idea. It's something that could be replicated anywhere. Um and and you know faith communities I think are a great thing, but this idea of the home sharing came out of of that that thing. Let's talk to each other. And right. let's see. And that's such a great idea also Albert as you said that you know to be an activist means maybe that you don't take this corporate job somewhere you know so so there there can be financial implications to to being an activist and yet yeah. that's what's really important and so this this complementary thing you've got all these social justice advocates that are elderly and you've got these youthful energetic people um it's just you know, I think this is what nature is telling us all along is the answers that we're seeking are are probably right in front of us Um if, if we just kind of open our eyes and our hearts.
1: Right. Well, I, I grew up uh, as a, a baby boomer, basically, and, uh, and your slogan was, I don't trust anybody over 30. Mm-hmm. But I was shocked when I reached 30 years old how much <laughs> people over 30 had learned to since I was a teenager you know so, and, and it was actually the young people who brought this to me they want to they want to have a relationship i think with uh, elderly people because they grew up probably in, in in homes that didn't have two parents or on their uh, cell phones uh, or or just not doing real things like you might have done on the farm as a young person uh with your your parents teaching you how to do farming and take care of uh, take care of uh, plants and animals and so forth uh, I, when I was in the army, the best soldiers were people who soldiers who were raised on the farm they had a common sense of common sense and a kind of a balanced view that was very winning and uh, very effective uh, in bringing people together and dealing with real problems. Uh, uh, when you're out of the field or or just wherever
0: yeah yeah i think that that whole kind of community working together a lot of those kind of more organic things that when right. a lot of us who have gone through i don't know gone to college gone got a corporate kind of job that you that's not a skill that you're uh-huh. so you have to really develop it and so this idea of taking younger people and older people white people black people you know different genders all that stuff and um and sharing a home i think uh that's been that's a that's a great idea all right so i just want to give a little plug uh if you want to know more about this and head over to climateactionchallenge.net you can pick up the book and the workbook You can buy it right there it's on amazon you can get it for your nook your kobo a bunch of other stuff now um, which is cool and we're also going to be doing an impact summit december 15th through 17th where you will be able to meet a lot of the challengers hear their stories and we're um I'm going to be featuring several of them. And we've got folks from the Philippines and Uganda and Nigeria and Bangladesh that are just making an impact in 90 days. And this is a message that if you have a city that is struggling to to make its climate action goals, this idea of giving people the support, the coaching, the structure is really important. Um, We've been ineffective for very long and uh, it's time to, to change it around. So with that, I just wanna say thank you so much, Albert, for sharing this elegant, simple, very powerful idea with us today.
1: And Joanne, thank you for making everything I do possible because uh, I did lead a green team at a former church I was at and it was very difficult to know what to do next. And you have an outline of step-by-step procedures to get it all going and to, and to think, uh, you know, holistically, you know, uh, rather than, oh, gee whiz, what I'm going to do with this next meeting kind of thing. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I know You're it's welcome. funny. It's just funny that the whole thing of, you know, the environmental movement that, that this part of coaching and here's what you actually do is is missing and that's why I don't mind advocating every single day go get the dang book so that we don't waste decades because we don't have time uh, right to do that anymore cool all right thanks so much Albert thanks everybody and um, yeah definitely head over to climateactionchallenge.net grab the book you can look at all the different list of challengers there uh, become a sponsor, be a donor. There's a ton of ways. We'd love to work with you. All right. Thanks. And remember the time for action is now because there is no planet B have a beautiful day. Thanks, Albert. You're Welcome. Bye. Okay, bye. bye.